All right, good morning, everyone. What a wonderful day uh, in the life of First Presbyterian. We're grateful that everyone got the memo that we had switched. We had originally planned to do this in Fogarty Hall across Chestnut. And we just kept hearing from people who were so excited about the panel that the planners of this weekend, their stress level just slowly climbed and climbed, worrying that we might run out of space if we kept it over in Fogarty. And so uh, the sanctuary obviously can accommodate us all, and we know and hope that we'll have others who join us. But we want to be attentive to our time because as we have already all seen, the excitement of today is having an opportunity to greet one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to welcome and to reconnect with three of First Presbyterian's former senior pastors. So we're going to stick to our timeline. We're going to start now. We're going to try and aim about 1040 because, of course, we'll roll into worship here in this space at 11. So we'll try and be attentive of that. And I'm going to swoop our pastors out. I'll give you four, uh, pre-warning. We're going to try and lead them out so that they can get ready uh, for worship at 11. And then we'll have a lot of time for fellowship and gathering afterwards. So we're grateful for you all joining us. We're going to open in prayer just here in a minute. Uh, today in this panel time uh, is an opportunity to hear stories. The theme for this weekend is rejoicing in our story as a congregation. And who better to help share some of the story of the life and faith of First Presbyterian over the years than the pastors who have served in this place. So we are delighted uh, to welcome back uh, Drs. Uh, Todd Jones, David Rennick, and Tom Evans. We're grateful for their willingness to make time to travel from points all across uh, the eastern seaboard to be with us. Uh, we have some questions that we have already planned uh, that we're going to ask these pastors. The joke that has been going on both before this weekend and last night as some of us were gathering uh, was whether or not we could actually succeed in keeping four different preachers, in this case, to five to seven minutes apiece <laughs> during worship. Uh, and and uh, I told them that there is a prize for whoever actually does that during worship, keeping it as close to that time as possible. Uh, but uh, in this time, this is a great time where we can just have an opportunity to talk and share and reminisce, but also to hopefully take away uh, from this time today a renewed sense of God's spirit at work, both in the past, but also in the present life of our church and fill us each with hope as we look ahead to the future. So let's open with with this time of uh, this time with prayer and then we'll jump in let's pray good and gracious god there is indeed so much to rejoice in the story that is first presbyterian god throughout the centuries you have worked through the hearts and minds of women and men who you have called into fellowship and ministry in this place and we give you thanks god for we recognize that the work that we are about now is not our work but rather your work and it is the work that has already been happening for so long and it is the ministry that your spirit guides us in now and will continue to guide us into the future and so god we thank you especially this day for this corner of the history of our church that we lift up and celebrate we thank you for all of the men and women gathered here and for the ways that they have come to know and love the spirit that is this congregation, but particularly the ways that we have come to know and love this church through the leadership of its pastors. God, we thank you for Todd and for David and for Tom, and we pray that you would be present with us now in this time of storytelling and this time of sharing and laughter and in this time of discernment about where and how it is you are leading us even now. We pray this all in the strong name of the one who gathers us now and always, your son, the crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
So where we thought we would start this morning uh, is uh, just by uh, having an opportunity to catch up with each of you and to learn a little bit about where you are now and what you're up to. So let's start, Tom, with you. If you would just share a little bit about uh, what's going on in the life of the Evans family and in your ministry uh, after First Presbyterian. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm spending most of my time in meetings these days, which is being a Presbyterian pastor is no surprise. Uh, but I, I serve a church which is a wonderful neighborhood church with a strong children's ministry, great worship, and where people love getting together. So I guess I'm uh, serving Spartanburg North up in New York City. <laughs> but, but actually, there is one difference. At uh, the Brick Church in New York City, we serve alcohol. So I think it's really like the Advent North. <laughs> more accurate. We won't tell Ned Morris what has been discussed. Okay, right. What happens here stays here, okay? okay. <laughs> Love it. Thank you, Tom. David? Uh, so both Curry and I retired last year. I retired in September. Curry finished teaching in the uh, D.C. public school system in May. She's subbing, continuing to sub in the uh, school system there. Uh, I retired in September. Today, actually, uh, National Presbyterian is... Uh, voting on their new pastor, mm. uh, and I think it's, things are going to be great there. So I uh, am uh, spending my time pottering around, uh, looking up old stuff that I've gathered over the years. I'm doing a, a little bit of um, academic stuff that I've put off for many years. I'm teaching a men's Bible study at a church in Northern Virginia on Monday nights. They've got about 50 men who turn up and doing that through April and May. And this summer, some of you may be interested in knowing I'm uh, going to be preaching in Boone, North Carolina. Uh, Jeff Smith, some of you remember as our youth minister, has a sabbatical. So I'm uh, preaching four Sundays of the three months that he's off, uh, off there. And that's Plenty to keep me busy. That's and awesome. I have no meetings. Oh. I actually I have one more thing to say. I'm also on the board of a group called uh, Friends of Foreman Christian College, which is a Christian university in Lahore, Pakistan. And it's a wonderful mission. If anyone wants to talk to me about it, I will talk. And if you'd like to give to it, thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> uh, I'd love to take whatever check you write. Thank you. Thank you, David. Todd? I've been retired for four years. And uh, a lot of people thought I'd flunk retirement. I have loved retirement. Um, before I retired, I called my friend Michael Holmes, who chaired the pulpit committee that called me here. And Michael said to me, do something every day physically that's good for you, something every day that nourishes your spirit, something every day to feed yourself intellectually. And I didn't always listen to Michael, but I listened on this count. And uh, Connie and I are enjoying life immensely in Nashville. Connie is a fourth generation Nashville person and should be willing to live in Nashville or Nashville. So, so the short answer is me and Mrs. Jones, we got a thing going on. Thank you, Todd. So one of the things I wrote about in the newsletter, uh, not this current month that's coming up, but uh, for the April newsletter, First News, was sharing about uh, how during the discernment process in my own uh, 
discerning whether or not God was leading uh, the Dyer family to First Presbyterian, uh, some of the first people that uh, I contacted and reached out to were the former pastors of First Presbyterian. And one of the things that struck me was the love uh, with which uh, you all spoke about this congregation, uh, which is not, it may come as a surprise, the case uh, for every pastor who leaves one call for another or retires or resigns. And that was something that stuck with me was that those individuals who had served this church before, uh, even after many years, still spoke about it with such affection and with such deep love. That spoke to me about the character and the heart of the people that are this church. And so I thought what I would love to hear from each of you is maybe just a reflection on what is it about this church that you loved when you served here? What, what is that character of this place that, um, that you continue to give thanks to God for, even as you felt God's call to other congregations and to other places? Todd, you wanna, we'll go in reverse order this time. What does the poet say? How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Um, this is a beautiful church. Um, Beautiful on the outside and beautiful on the inside. Uh, I love the leadership of this church. The caliber of leadership in this church is remarkable. Um, I love this place. I remember once in a small group in Montreat with officers, uh, Wally Barr, who grew up here, said, when I walk into this place, I feel like... God is wrapping his arms around me. And I've never forgotten that. Um, I love the staff I worked with here. And uh, my first five hires uh, have three of them sitting on the front pew right now. So I think I'm, I, I never was very good at firing people. Uh, Connie used to say, do you ever fire anybody? And the answer is no. But I was really good at hiring people, and Holt and Marcia and Ansley were three of my first hires here. I think they've worked out. (laughs) (laughs) And Norwood Strasburger was another hire. Nobody creates community like Norwood Strasburger does. She loves everybody. And he's not here, but George McGill is in heaven. And there is nobody I ever loved working with like I loved working with George. So thanks. Thank you. David? Well, really, uh, Todd has stolen my thunder. (laughs) Uh, I I think I would repeat that almost word for word. And uh, not that I hired those folks, but the folks I did hire, some of whom are here, uh, great colleagues. But uh, what I was actually, what I wrote down was the depth uh, and the spread of leadership mm. is simply stunning. Yeah. And you, I don't, I'm not sure you realize, realize the gifts that you have of leadership, the people who will take up the baton and say, I'll do this. And this is not usual. It just is uncommon. Uh, to have so many, and I look out over you. And it doesn't matter whether it's a huge thing and it's gonna be prominent, or whether it's something behind the scenes which just needs to be done. Somebody's gonna say, I'll do that. I'll take care of that. And all of us know that you've got the big projects, but there are lots of other things, and a church does not work unless somebody says, I'll take the lead 
on that. Mm -hmm. And that we could see happening again and again and, and again. I think the other thing is to say there is enormous love in this congregation. Many of you have known each other since childhood. And take this the right, it stuns me, you still love each other. <laughs> so some people only know each other a few years and they don't love each other. But, but this congregation goes from generation to generation. And there's this intergenerational uh, quality to the congregation, but there's an intergenerational love here, mm. which once again, I think is uh, uncommon. Mm. Um, and has been something that I pray about, uh, have prayed about in the uh, years since I've left in terms of my congregation. How do you stir up that kind of love and mm. care, just deep care? That's beautiful. Thank you, David. Tom, before I hand it to you, one thing just to build on your comment about leadership this weekend is a beautiful reflection of that in and of itself, that this is a group of people who, with Joanne Hall's uh, support and leadership from the pastoral side, took an idea and just ran with it in the sense that we have a lot of different things that have had to fall into place to make this weekend happen, but particularly with the rain plan and everything, and it just happens, right? People step up, and they do, and they offer their gifts and their time and their talent, and it happens to the benefit of the entire congregation, and we hope, too, for the community. So thank you. Tom? One of the things I love the most was each week getting elbowed out of the way of the dessert table as the seniors came rushing through. <laughs> to beat everybody to the punch, sometimes literally. And, but it was WAF. Wednesday evenings at first were such an electric, dynamic time in the church. It was just incredible to go from table to table, and there'd be one section in the back, the large private dining room, where the parents with the young children were. And there was, if you wanted a little pandemonium and chaos, you could go back there. And other places, the seniors of the church sat. And then it was just spread throughout with all different people from the congregation, all different sectors of the church coming together for a meal. And then afterwards, there might be a knitting group, something might be happening in here. Others help roll the tables up. I can't tell you how expensive it is to have to pay people to roll tables up in New York City. <laughs> so the, 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 the fact that you all have, the, you, that you do it as the congregation members is just a remarkable thing. And I also loved how you loved my family. Mm. So how you, you t so some of you taught Matthew in school and continued to encourage him all the, the years through. He's now graduated from college and he's heading out pursuing his dream uh, to go to UCLA Film School and how you embraced Wendy and she was in the knitting group and I always asked her, what happened at the knitting group? And she said, I can't tell you. What happens in knitting group stays in knitting group. <laughs> and one time she told me, I said, next time don't tell me. I don't want to know. And then the way you've embraced Liz, uh, she, she did not join the church while I was the pastor here, but after I left, she joined the <laughs> congregation. And, but she served on the stewardship committee, yeah. and you all have mentored her. Many of you have mentored her into her profession, and now she is in a job that she absolutely loves at PAL, and before that, St. Luke's. And so, you know, in some ways, I'm a little bit upset at you in that you've made it such a great place that she doesn't want to leave because I'd like her to come up and be closer. And, and then finally, to, to echo these same things, the staff was such a thrill to work with. Everybody was just so dedicated to doing their very best and to doing it in a Christian manner which exhibited the, the good news of the gospel. 
And it was just an incredible, incredible group. And, and the, this notion that here there is, it, I, the way that I would phrase what my colleagues shared is that if there's a good idea for God's sake, then it will happen. Mm. You will make it happen because of the leadership here. So many other congregations, there might be a good idea that gets floated up and then it sort of floats away on the wind and nothing happens. But that is not what happens here. Those good ideas, for God's sake, you all make happen in amazing and incredible ways. Mm. Thank you, Tom. I want to shift gears uh, for a moment. In my office, I don't know if you all saw when you dropped robes off or, or strolled back there uh, today, I guess our office, technically, uh, <laughs> your office, um, there sits about a 20-pound hand-carved black bear. This uh, bear was delivered semi-anonymously to me about three or four weeks ago now uh, to mark a very strange Maundy Thursday experience that we had here at First Presbyterian involving a fully grown black bear that had climbed a tree just outside the front doors of the church and was casually greeting passerbys until someone sort of rose the alarm and said maybe that's not the best thing for the bear or for downtown Spartanburg to leave him up there. Um, it was a crazy day is really the best way to describe it. So I'm curious, uh, and you all can just sort of go in whatever order you want here. What is the craziest thing that you remember happening <laughs> when you served First Presbyterian as pastor? And if you need to change names or anything, feel free to. Yes, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever wants to go first, jump in. A couple of incidents. One, uh, it's not quite like the bear, but uh, so uh, you just had Palm Sunday and a donkey. We had a donkey at Bible school one summer because the kids were raising money, and if they reached a certain limit, I was going to kiss the donkey. <laughs> and uh, dagnabbit, they reached that limit. And, just as I leaned over to kiss the donkey, the donkey came back. I said, I'm not going to have that. Uh, but, but I kissed the donkey. But I think the one that I want to share is on a trip to Israel. And a huge part of my ministry was, how do I heal this rift between the University of South Carolina and Clemson? <laughs> I mean, the body of Christ is divided over, over this, you know, come on, let's get this together. So... So we're on this trip to Israel, and the, the Clemson folks are dominating. And doing my best, and some of you are probably here, doing, doing my best to handle this. And we're beside the Sea of Galilee, and it's a wonderful, holy moment. And we're about to get on uh, a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. And the Clemson gang are kind of hanging in together. And off the boat come two or three of their fraternity brothers. In in Galilee. <laughs> and uh, it just, we just kind of said, no, how can this be? But it, it was just this strange and wonderful <laughs> moment, completely out of the blue, uh, where uh, we had a great time together. That's awesome. Thank you, David. Todd, Tom? So w w the first thing that comes to mind is one of the most surprising or strange moments was teaching uh, sex education classes in Haiti. And uh, I, I blame Craig Colbath for that because he could make the trip that year and teaching it to the high school students and then afterwards teaching it to the teachers. 
And it was both a, a, a surprising thing with the depth of questions that they asked, which I could not voice here in this room today, but it was also remarkable in how much it was needed uh, there, to, uh, amazing the, the level of education that was needed. And then another matter, one of the most surprising things was, the, so the Presbyterian denomination has a long history of what was called aid to field, meaning when a congregation couldn't quite afford a pastor, then the, the presbytery would, would help support that congregation's ability. And, 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 and the denomination did this for years, and, and, and sadly, it rarely worked out. And so it was to my great surprise and utter delight when Tiger River came knocking on our door here, and they needed a little bit of help, and we stepped in and did a little part, the presbytery did a little part, and brought Hudson Neely there, an incredible pastor, and now they are a thriving church. And it's amazing because God works in incredible ways uh, through you, and it's very possible that church wouldn't, its doors wouldn't be open today if it weren't for uh, your generosity. Thank you, Tom. Todd? I didn't have a bear come to the church. I feel kind of left out, yeah. though I did hear about the bear from one of your elders with whom I'm in regular communication. <laughs> and the fall of the bear was stunning, wasn't it? Whoa. So before I came, when the pulpit committee was meeting with me for a Sunday afternoon in Columbia, South Carolina, on the pulpit committee that had 11 people on it, uh, a kind of low-grade argument broke out about the new Presbyterian hymnal and, <laughs> and whether it was a good idea to get it or not. And um, uh, I thought, we're just going to punt on this and wait. But at some point, we finally realized it's time to make this decision. And honestly, it was the only acrimonious session meeting I had here in 11 years because people felt so strongly on both sides of the issue. And one of our wisest elders said, well, why don't we buy both? All new red hymn books and all new blue hymn books. And um, another member called me the next day because I, at some point, said, I'm the moderator, but can I step out of this role to say something about how I think about this? And one of the elders, who was a very good friend, said, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> and Norman's uncle Marshall, I think, was worried about that. He called me the next day. And he said, don't take that personally, Todd. <laughs> and he said, uh, I really like the idea of getting all new blue and all new red because it's a compromise. And then he quietly had all the pew racks changed uh, and paid for it. And it looked like they had always been that way. And for the rest of my time here, we had two hymn books. Wow. And it was pretty crazy. <laughs> but it worked. And, and what do red and blue make when you combine them together? <laughs> Purple. There we go. The, yeah. the pew rack now. Yeah, yes. that's right. Purple. I did, I did think to ask the committee when I was coming, I said, are you all through all the hymnal conversations? Because <laughs> I'm really not interested in coming to a place now. Uh, 
amazing history there. I'm learning so much, too, as we go. I hope that you all are as well. So one of the things uh, I love to talk about, and last Sunday we had a wonderful uh, young adult gathering um, uh, in the evening, and in fact another one midweek, uh, and in both cases this applied. I love to talk about how I have this uh, deep-seated belief that a church that eats together sticks together, that there is something beautiful uh, and meaningful and deeply uh, faith-filled uh, about sharing a meal, uh, both with people who we already know, but also with people who we may have not ever met before and find them sitting across a table from us. And in some ways, we're going to enact that after our worship today. We have lots of tables and a lot of chicken. Uh, there are a lot of chickens that thought their week was starting off pretty good last week that uh, aren't feeling that way right now. But uh, we're going to have a wonderful lunch together and, and practice table fellowship. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that we were talking about leading into this uh, was, was that this is a church that loves to eat together. So I'm wondering, you know, is there a memory around food that you all have uh, that uh, would lift up uh, uh, and serve either as an example or perhaps a counterexample for you about uh, fellowship around the table, a, a memory involving food at First Presbyterian? David? Uh, two or three. <laughs> One was uh, Patricia saying one morning, I think it was a prayer meeting, I can't remember when, but we had a great breakfast. She said, David, I, I always have to have some bacon here because the wives don't allow their husbands to have <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if Patricia's still here, but... but um, but uh, then I think a happy memory, and I don't remember, maybe Holton Marsha remember, the staff, I don't know whether we were having a cooking lesson or whether we were preparing something, but all of the staff was in the kitchen together. And we were making something together, learning how to do things. And it was a, just a wonderful staff moment uh, in the kitchen there. Final one was actually not here, but in, uh, in Washington. I've been blessed with wonderful clerks of session, including Dee, who's here and who after many years either resigned or was fired, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, had a, a wonderful clerk of session in, in D.C. And, and uh, in the first few years, talking a lot about Spartanburg, and he got a little tired of my talking about it. But we were talking about Wednesday nights. Yeah. And, he's, and I was talking about what happened there. And he said, the next thing you're going to tell me is that they have ice cream on Wednesday nights. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> that, really, that really happened. <laughs> I, it up. I love it. The ice cream machine is a real hit. It continues. Oh. If, if that machine ever goes out of service, that's when we're really in trouble, trouble around here, I think. Yeah, the kids will all come find us and the adults yeah. alike. Tom? Well, I see Don McClure sitting here, and he is intimately related to some of the most amazing barbecues. Oh, yeah. Don would cook for any size of group, and he's unbelievable. But my best memory is in a photograph, and I have no idea who took it. We started to have picnics on the lawn after church. Mm. And the picture, I think, was taken probably my last year here. And it was just a candid shot of Josh and me. Mm. And I had it in my office mm. in Nashville. 
And uh, I think I have it tucked away someplace where it will be safely uh, resurrected someday. That's but awesome. um, this church has loved my family, mm-hmm. uh, as you said, Tom. And uh, I can't tell you why, how much that means to me. So thanks. Thank you, Tom. So what, what, uh, there's many great food memories. And, and quickly, you know, Pano's baklava Patricia's pimento cheese and Jane's lemon pound cake are just... <laughs> I, I can't think about anything else associated with that except the taste of the food. It's so good. But there was one metaphor, I think, particularly for Jane's pound cake. And that is, you know, in, in the intertestamental times, between the writing of the Old and New Testaments, there was all of this writing, and it, a lot of it involved copious amounts of wine. So that at the, at the time of the kingdom, when you enter in the kingdom... Everybody has like 500 gallons of wine to drink. Well, at First Press Spartanburg, rather than everybody having gallons and gallons of wine to drink, it is an overflow of Jane's frosting. That when she made this pound cake, you know, I didn't like pound cake because I always thought they were dry. But what she did is she would pour the frosting in the middle of the pound cake until it flowed over the sides. And you'd have about this thick layer of the frosting on it. And that was so delightfully sinful and uh, <laughs> over the top. You could always rely on Jane for the most incredible things. Well, after that question, I think we can just pause for the rest of our time. We'll all head down, just go ahead and go. I've suddenly grown hungrier. The snickerdoodle pound cake that comes out of Jane's oven, too, is delicious. Holy cow. Um, so another thing, not only eating together in this church, but also uh, this is a church that loves to read. Uh, there are more Bible studies and book clubs and other things that are connected to the life of this church, and that happens throughout uh, every single week. I think Craig at some point went around and tallied up all the different opportunities for learning that happen between Sundays in this church, and I... I don't think there's any sort of scientific study, but I would be willing to bet that Spartanburg is somewhere in the top 10 mainline Protestant churches with regards to the opportunities to be in conversation and learning together. But it makes me curious. Um, uh, one thing that people ask me often is sort of what I'm reading, what I'm listening to. And one of my favorite things to do with new officers and with new members sometimes is to share just a resource list of some books that I found helpful or books that, um, that I'm reading now. And I thought it might be interesting to hear from each of you. What, what are you reading? What, what are some of the uh, books that have you excited? Are there podcasts out there? Are there resources that you find yourselves uh, going to regularly that uh, might uh, benefit and, and be interesting to uh, First Pres Spartanburg? All right, next question. <laughs> well, so one book I've been reading recently, is, it's called The Martian. And it's, some of you may have seen the, the movie equivalent or, or read the book, and it's about an astronaut who gets stranded on Mars. Mm. And what's very enticing about that, living in New York City, you don't really get time by yourself. And so just to think, being stranded on Mars for a few weeks might be a delightful experience. But even more than reading, I've, I've been enjoying taking advantage of the, the cultural arts in New York City. So going to the Met, going to the art museums, uh, the, the opera, listening to some incredible music. And it, it's such a rich, diverse set of, of arts that are unparalleled, unmatched in the world in some ways, but in other ways, the very well uh, seen here in Spartanburg. So we've got a 
fantastic choir at Brick Church, and we have a young lady, Katie Jo, who sings with us, who, by the way, we stole here from First Presbyterian. And they've got great uh, concerts there at, at the church that enrich the mind. We did a Buxtehuda, but it doesn't uh, compare to the cry of Jeremiah that Holton Marsha did here. So it's a, I'm enriching myself with all kinds of cultural arts, um, but was equally enriched uh, definitely uh, during, during my time here. Great. Thank you, Tom. David? Uh, some of you may remember I was an applied math major. And reading was always hard for me. Hmm. And uh, I had to work at it. In fact, my librarian wife, Curry, had to teach me how to read a book at seminary. So I still uh, uh, prefer to do audio books than, uh, than pick up a book. And so whenever I go out for a walk or anything else, I'm listening. On the fun side, I like Daniel Silva and David... Um, Baldacci, yeah. my two Fun. favorites on that side. Uh, in Britain, the first history I learned was Roman and Greek history at age six. And I've gone back to, to that, so I've been listening to some teaching course things on uh, Roman and Greek uh, history. Um, I'm forgetting the name of a book. Uh, Tom Holland is a British historian, uh, and he has written on the impact of Christianity. He's a Roman and Greek historian, but he's written on the impact of Christianity uh, on the Western world. And, is that uh, Dominion? Dominion. Yeah. yeah, Dominion. I think it's a, an extremely important book when everything out there is looking at the dark side of Christianity, but maybe comes to that later. Uh, he is a, a non-believer. He's not anti, but uh, speaks about the impact of Christian faith on the Western world from a secular historian point of view. And it's a really important message to hear, a positive yeah. message. And he doesn't hide the bad stuff, but uh, Dominion, thank you, yeah. um, there. And um, that's... I'm sure there are some others. Oh, there's, there's some on race. I've read about 20 or 30 on racial mm -hmm. issues in the last few years. My top one is Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I think she, many people go around and sort of point to things. I think she gets to the heart of many of the issues and does so in a, in a way which it, whatever side you're on, she can draw you in to say, ah, that's a really good, important, C-A-S-T-E, cast. Thank you, Devin. Thank you. I'm reading a lot of novels now. I like British novelists. I think Brits are smarter than we are. Uh, they handle the thank language you, thank better. Thank you, John. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm also, right now, I'm reading Bear Town by yeah. Frederick Backman. He's also written... Um, no relation to our bear, but yeah. yeah. Anxious People and a Man Called Ove. Oh, yeah. And he is a, he's Swedish. He's marvelous. Uh, I've been nerding out on James Madison, whose education was thoroughly Christian. This professor from uh, Syracuse University has written an 850-page biography on Madison, but he has a whole chapter about how 
Uh, Madison was thoroughly shaped by Christian Protestant influences. And to understand him, you need to understand that. Um, and another book by David Stewart about Madison called Madison's Gift, about five partnerships that he established with other people that built the American Republic. It's an amazing read. Uh, the relationships are with um, Hamilton, the Federalist Papers, with um, Jefferson, political parties for better or worse. Uh, Washington wrote twice as many letters to Madison that we have than anybody else. Mm -hmm. uh, Washington wanted to know what Madison thought, and the best partnership of all for him was with Dolly, mm -hmm. uh, who was an extrovert to his introvert, 5'7 to his 5'4, and the two of them together created a civil discourse in America between people who differed from each other. Mm. Uh, he loved ideas and wasn't afraid of different ideas. And it just strikes me that we'd all do well to read more about um, Madison. Yeah, so. that's great. Thank you. And as I was listening, I'm thinking to myself, I should be writing some of these down. Uh, this is recorded, so if you need to go back and you didn't have a chance to write it down, you can come back and, uh, and find that. I'm watching our time. Uh, I have one question left, but I think we got about two questions of time left. So I'm going to go off script for a moment, and I'm going to ask you all a question that uh, you weren't prepared for. I won't do a force. Just if you, if someone uh, or something comes to mind that that you think would be uh, good uh, to share in response to this question, uh, would love to know. One of uh, my mentors in ministry, uh, he he has uh, preached a number of places uh, uh, on what he calls balcony people, and this is a, a borrowed term. It's not his original term, but he talks about, and I, I may have even used it before in a sermon here, um, but uh, he talks about how we each have people in our lives, both past and present, who have helped to form us into the people that we are uh, uh, and uh, into um, uh, the pastors that we are, right? And he talks about them as balcony people because he says these are the people that almost sort of seem like they're sitting in the balcony throwing us lines every once in a while. These are people who just remind us and keep us centered and on path. I'm curious, for the three of you, are there any balcony people from First Spartanburg uh, who, who you uh, think about, who come to mind uh, that uh, were uh, especially formative in your time here or important to your ministry? I'll, I'll go first on that. Um, my first year here, Pat Perrin was the chair of the we called it the Coordinating Council. Mm -hmm. Do we still have that? Officer Council is, okay. I think, what it's yeah. turned into, yeah. And uh, uh, Pat really taught me about this church. He mm. grew up in it. He loved it. Um, and I just learned a lot about mm. how to be an adult <laughs> from Pat Perrin. And the other person I mentioned earlier, Norman's uncle, Marshall Chapman, mm. who for me um, was a great encourager. Marshall was a very introverted guy, but um, he, he always had the right word for me at the right time, and I really looked up to both of them mm -hmm. a great deal. Thank you, Todd. David or Tom? Uh, there's so too many to mention. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's I why I didn't make the original yeah. cut. But I, I was thinking uh, that in my study, as we talked about how the ministry would de develop. Um, 
Dick Carr and David Beecham mm. were in my study a lot. Mm. So there are a lot of other people with various projects, the breadth that I've mentioned in leadership. But just in terms of how are we doing and sitting down um, and uh, uh, just coming into the study there, I think they, um, nobody would see that. Yeah. And that, that, that was wonderful. Thank you, David. Uh, there's certainly a, a whole lot of people in this yeah. room that I could name, and we'd be here for all through worship. Yeah. And so just to thinking about somebody who's, who's not in this room today, uh, Bill Arthur, yeah. who was an interim pastor. Yeah. Yeah. He was such, such a, a consummate gentleman, so intelligent, but never came off as pretentious in any way, shape, or form. And he was funny, he was warm, he, he knew everybody. And so I could, he was here for the first time, first few years that I was here. And I could sort of look over his shoulder and see what he was doing and saying, okay, let me just try to do that. In, in not as good a way, but he, he was a, a tremendous, a tremendous person. When I was a pastor in Columbia at 29, I went to a church. Bill was at Shandon Church across town, and he was a great friend. Yeah. He really was, in those years especially. Bill is so, one... Oh, I was going to say, since we're talking about Bill Arthur, I'm the one who allowed Bill to come back. Uh, That's right. <laughs> So I haven't been back to Spartanburg much since we left, but I, one or two of you may know this, but when Bill was in hospice, I flew down on a Sunday after church mm -hmm. and went to visit him and talked to Tom before mm -hmm. I came and did that. And uh, so he's going to die very shortly. It was just one of these most wonderful afternoons where you leave feeling lifted up, uh, and the person you came to console or whatever, yeah. um, he's, he's the one ministering to you, and that's who Bill, Bill was uh, mm. in his life, and it was, uh, it was a, a wonderful memory, yeah, and it's beautiful. great partnership. I have noticed uh, now, having passed the year mark, that there are certain names that you hear come up and as people just sort of tell the story of the church. And each of your names are part of that list, but Bill Arthur is one of those names that just everywhere you turn keep coming up the ways that he impacted individual lives, but also the life of the church. One more question before we close and uh, prepare ourselves uh, for worship here in uh, about a half hour or so. What gives you all hope? When we look out um, uh, on the world as it is, I think people here, uh, including the pastor, come to church every Sunday having endured another week of uh, headlines that carry uh, oftentimes heartbreaking news. But also on top of that, when you look at the church and a lot of what people talk about when they talk about the church is the church is dying, look at these statistics, look at all of this data. Sometimes it can feel awfully hard to be hopeful. But there's so much in my own life and ministry I find that that does give me hope. And I'm curious for all of us here, what are those things for each of you when you look out uh, that gives you hope for the Church of Jesus Christ wherever you are, but also the Church of Jesus Christ? What gives you hope? In Ephesians, um, we're told Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. And um, 
If Jesus loved the church, maybe America will come again to see how important the church has been to everything good about this culture. I'd say my hope is built on nothing less than mm -hmm. Jesus' blood and righteousness, the gospel. Amen. Thank you, Todd. David or Tom? So the worst thing about officer training is teaching the elders that the senior pastor is not the head of the church. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, I missed that part this yes. year. Gosh. <laughs> so, uh, so, but as Todd said, the church is not ours. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And if Jesus lived and died and rose again, then he is more passionate about the church than we are. Mm. And uh, we've talked a little about history. Um, fact is that in history from the beginning of the church all the way through, the New Testament would not have been written had it not been for problems in the church from day one. Mm. The idea that it was perfect then and we've fallen from that, uh, there were some perfections, but we are sinners called together by grace. And so the imperfections were there and the New Testament letters are written because of that. So it's not as if the dysfunction is new. It's as old as the hills. Historically, the church thrives in one place, moves on to another place, often dies in one place, but keeps on growing. So if you look at, on the web for the growth of Christianity, you'll see the lights going on here and then dimming and the lights going on here. We hope and pray that the lights will go on bright again in the United States. And I think that the postmodern absence of truth will actually come around to hit people mm -hmm. that that's an, not a viable way to live. Mm -hmm. Just is not a, and so I hope the cycle will come around. But the church is booming. And part of our mission wow. is to see in, in other places. And so Christ is at work. But he's at work here and churches like this give me a great deal of hope. Thank you, David. Where I, where I see the church focusing on the three basic food groups, it, it's thriving. The, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The churches are strong, and it doesn't matter the size of that congregation. If they're focused on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the Spirit's fellowship, then there is a tremendous energy and life there. And in my ministry now, I find myself in this interesting phase is, is going back to the basics of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And as I look at that, I, f I feel like that's, that's also where churches focus on that. I think they thrive. That's what congregations, that's what the world needs. They don't need Christianity, uh, but they need Christ. Mm. And I, th I think what's happened is we, because of extremist groups who have co-opted a, a, a version of Jesus, which is not the biblical version of Jesus, because he's been co-opted, we're, we're afraid to say his name too much in case we get associated uh, with, with people of a, of a certain ilk. And so I think that, in my mind, the callings to unashamedly share who this Jesus of Nazareth was, how he lived his life, and what he gave. And, and that simple, remarkable message is, is getting more and more powerful in my own mind, and I see it transforming the lives of people in New York City, mm -hmm. for example. More adult baptisms 
have happened there than happened in my whole time here. Mm. Is people are hungry. They are hungry for the bread and butter uh, of the faith. Thank you. That's an appropriate note, I think, for us to round out this time. And ultimately, what I think we are about today is rejoicing in our story, yes, as a congregation, but also for all the ways that each of you, through your ministries, unabashedly shared the good news of Jesus Christ and for the ways that it has touched the lives of everyone who has gathered here, both uh, in body, but also many people who are joining us online. Uh, there is deep gratitude for, uh, for the ways that God has used each of you uh, in your time and ministry in this place uh, to share uh, that love and that mercy of Jesus Christ with each of us individually, but also us as a community of faith. So we are grateful uh, for each of you, for your presence here, and for your willingness to, uh, to uh, answer so many questions uh, over the last hour or so. We're grateful for this time together. Let's give a round of applause for each of us. We're going to end this time, and as I said, you're welcome to be seated. As I said uh, earlier, uh, we're going to uh, sweep them away uh, so that we can get ready for our worship. We have about 25 minutes, so this is a great time to enjoy fellowship with one another. I look out, and I think the vast majority of you are probably sitting in the pews without a bulletin. You're going to want to get a bulletin. So our ushers, I know, are in place, maybe uh, very uh, orderly fashion. You can approach uh, one of them to get a bulletin and be ready for worship. Um, but let's close this time in prayer, and then we'll look forward to gathering together again at the hour for worship. Let us pray. Gracious God, for this time together, we are grateful. But God, we are most grateful for the ways that your love, your love that has been shown to us in Jesus Christ is amongst us even now and is moving in our midst as we give thanks and remember the way that you have been at work in the story of this church for so long and for the ways that you are at work even now and the ways that you are pressing us forward on that journey of faith. God, be with us until we gather again in worship that your name might be glorified and that our joy might be full as we seek to share it with a world that is in such need of it. We pray this all in the name of your son, our hope, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right.